Hey friends, welcome to my podcast, Straight Talk with Celine. God's redemption over my life has led to many radical changes in me. One gift God has given me is a hunger for his word and a passion to share it with you. The Bible tells us all we need to know about God, but it also tells us all we need to know about ourselves, and we fail to open it and learn these great truths. A burden that weighs heavy on me is that many professing Christians don't know their identity in Christ. So join me now as we walk through God's word and learn who we are in Christ so we can step into all he's called us to be. Today we open our Bibles to the book of Matthew to walk through uh, the next parable, the parable of the sower. And as I walk through this, um, I was a little shocked at the direction the Lord took me when I, when I got into this parable. Um, and I've been so excited uh, to share this one because there's so much depth here. I believe the details that I'm about to share with you guys is going to open your hearts and your minds to some deeper truths. So with that being said, please turn to the 13th chapter of the book of Matthew as I read verses 3 through 23. And he told them many things in parables saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil and immediately they sprang up. And since they had no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some hundredfolds, some 60, some 30. He who has ears, let them hear. Then the disciples came to him and said, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered to them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And this is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. It says, you will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this, people's hearts have grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see. Blessed are your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what sowing, this is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. When tribulations or persecution arise on the account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who Here's the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case, a hundredfold in another 60 and in another 30. Wow. That's a lot of verses. There's a lot going on here We're we're, we're dealing with the parable and its meaning, but we must look at a few things to set us up to truly understand what Jesus is saying and and why he's saying it. But before we dig in to discover, um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. Uh, We praise you. Uh, You are holy. Uh, You are worthy. 
You alone are worthy. Um, You are so good to us. Your grace is sufficient. Uh, And God, we thank you for your son, Jesus, uh, who came and did immeasurably more than we could ever uh, understand and comprehend. God, your son, Jesus, uh, not only came and and paved the way uh, for for us to be back in in right uh, standing with you, but he, he taught us. He showed us. He led us. He, 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 he was the greatest example to ever walk in flesh, the perfect example. And we have this beautiful teaching, this parable of the sower that we get to, to dig into, Lord. I pray that the time I spent with you uh, as I dug in the Bible and uh, just cross-referenced all over the place to really find it's the answers, Lord, the meditation, the prayer, uh, Lord, you showed me some things. And uh, Lord, I pray that as I, I speak these things out, that your spirit would, would move. Uh, Lord, it is, it is your, uh, it's your message. It's your voice. It's, it's you teaching here, Lord. It's just, I'm just the vessel. I'm just the, the microphone. And Lord, I just pray that the, the, the listener, uh, the, the viewer uh, of this, uh, that they would receive this message, Lord, and it would do something mighty in their life. Um, so Lord, we pray as this time um, passes that you would um, just be glorified. And uh, thank you for, for bringing us together in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So the main point of this parable is pretty straightforward, yet there is much wisdom uh, for us to glean from, and and, and I want to point that out. But simply this parable, it really depicts the teaching of the gospel throughout the world and the various responses that people have to it. Some will flat out reject the gospel. Some will accept the gospel for a short time, but fall away. And some will believe the gospel and lead others to do the same. Before we break down the details of this text, as well as the details surrounding this text, I want to highlight something interesting I saw in my study of this parable. The section of our text in the middle, where where Jesus speaks about the purpose of the parable. Mark and Luke's account both tell us when Jesus was alone with his disciples and the the few that were, were around them, they asked Jesus the meaning of this parable. Matthew's account goes a little deeper and says the disciples came to Jesus and asked why he speaks to them, the crowds, in parables. Before we dig into this parable, I think we need to know why this text is here. That There has to be a good reason and we need to understand why. Based on the scripture, this parable was spoken to many people. Matthew 13, 1 through 2, if we back up a few verses... Uh, from our text today, it says Jesus went out of the house and he sat beside the sea and great crowds gathered around him. So he got into a boat and he sat down and the whole crowd stood on the beach. So who was in this great crowd standing on the beach? And this parable tells us, and we will get into it, but for time's sake, I will quickly tell you who was in this crowd. And I want you guys, as you listen, to actually picture this. Because I want you to know, as I study scripture, I always try to visualize it as if I'm, I'm actually present at the scene. It brings the story to life. I mean, so right now, Jesus is in the boat. The people are on the beach. Imagine you being there in that crowd on the beach, listening to Jesus tell this parable. When we do this, guys, it brings the story to life. Remember, this event, this actually took place. It, we're, we're actually... We're reading history here. 
So who was present in this crowd of people listening to Jesus? Well, of course you had Jesus's disciples and those who believed on Jesus, but not only them, you also had unbelievers and rejectors of Christ. You had the shallow and fickle people who just followed Jesus for what he could do for them. And lastly, you had the materialists who loved their wealth and wanted to keep one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. I mean, this was the crowd present as Jesus began to speak. And side note, the question I ask is, do these types of people still exist today? Absolutely. And guess what? They always will. So we must understand that Matthew 13 begins the third of, of five discourses that make up the gospel of Matthew. And so far at this point, Jesus had stated his authority as the kingly Messiah. He, he, he proved his authority by his authenticated or authenticating miracles. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He drove out demons. He calmed the storms. He showed he had power over all things. And then he laid out the agenda, the mission. And right now at this point, the, the mission was advancing. So here in Matthew 13, this, this marks a significant turning point in Jesus's ministry. I mean, if we look at Matthew 13, 3 and Matthew 13, 34, we see that Jesus begins to speak to the crowds using parables. It says, all these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. In other words, at this point of Jesus's ministry, he only spoke to the crowds in parables. Nothing he taught was plain for everyone to understand. And so the question I ask is, well, why, why is this significant? Well, first, it fulfilled the prophecy from Psalm 78 that says, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from the old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. So here Jesus quotes the prophet Asaph. Jesus was saying that for, for the rest of his ministry, his public teaching will only be told in parables. But why? I mean, this had me interested to know why Jesus would do this. Why would he not just speak plainly? Well, in this day, parables were a common form of teaching in Judaism. And as I mentioned a few weeks ago, a parable is, is, is a long analogy, often cast in the form of a story. An earthly story with what? A heavenly meaning. Before this point in Jesus' ministry, Jesus had, had employed many graphic analogies, but their meanings were fairly clear in the context of his teachings. For example, a few weeks back, we talked about a pretty straightforward graphic analogy, being the salt and light, Matthew 5. This is pretty self-explanatory. Be the salt. Be flavorful. Preserve. Be the light. Light the darkness with God's truth. Be God's messenger in, in the, and light the world. No one walked away uh, from that analogy needing much of an explanation. It was pretty straightforward, right? But these parables that Jesus would teach from now on, from this point on, were going to require more explanation. Hence why Jesus would only explain to the few and do it in a private setting, not a public one. And it's evident now that Jesus was purposely obscuring the truth from unbelievers while making it clearer to his disciples, to his, his genuine followers. 
So from now on, we will only see Jesus speak to the crowds using parables, essentially veiling the truth. Sounds pretty harsh if we, if we really think about it. And at first glance, I thought it wasn't fair. But after I got out of my feelings, after I got out of my, my emotions, and I looked into why, I realized there's a purpose for this. When Jesus veiled the truth from unbelievers, guys, it was both an act of judgment and an act of mercy. Let me explain. It was an act of judgment because it kept people in the darkness that they loved. Remember what Jesus said in John 3, 19? He, he said, and this is judgment. The light, whom is Jesus, the, the truth has come into the world and people loved darkness rather than light because their works were what guys their works were evil here's the reality jesus didn't go around trying to debate and talk people into believing on him so why do i need to what why do you need to and at the same time jesus veiled the truth as an act of mercy it was mercy because they had already rejected the light so any exposure to more truth would only increase their condemnation. I mean, guys, think about that. It's deep. I know, but it's truth. So moving on, before we unpack the parable from today, I need to point something else out that was very interesting and significant. In the middle of our text, Matthew 13, 10 through 17, if you look at it, Jesus told his disciples the purpose of the parables. The only And this only further... It explains the why behind Jesus using parables to teach. And before we dig in and explain what the parable of the sower really means, I think we need to tackle this part of the text to really set the stage, to really understand the meaning of this parable. Matthew 13, 10 through 11 says, The disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And Jesus answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. So first, this clearly affirms that the ability to comprehend spiritual truth is, is really a gracious gift from God, sovereignly bestowed on those he chooses. So what Jesus says is, to you it has been given. And who is he referring to? He's referring to his disciples, his, his followers. It refers to those that are genuine. And when Jesus says, to them it has not been given, who is he referring to? The crowds, those who were not genuine. And there are many other New Testament texts that support this idea. I mean, we go to John 6, and it tells us that Jesus told his disciples that no one can come to him unless it's granted to Christ by the Father. 1 Corinthians 2 tells us that Paul wrote to the church of Corinth and told them that God uses the Holy Spirit to reveal secrets of God, the wisdom of God, and the truth of God. He reveals it. And Colossians 1 tells us that Paul wrote to the church at Colossae and explained that God chose to make known to the church the truth. And the Apostle John wrote in his second epistle that those in Christ were anointed by God. So based on these texts, there's no getting around it. God gives, God grants, God reveals, God chooses, and, and God anoints. But why? That, that's my question. I want to take it a step further and just not just say, oh, well, he anoints, he chooses, he does. It's just to say he's sovereign. Of course he is. But again, why? And guys, this may be controversial. 
the way I answer this to why God would give and grant and reveal and choose and anoint some, but not others. But the only way I could reconcile this in my mind was what I discovered in scripture. And I just want to say, this is my time in the word. By no means am I saying that I'm right. By no means am I saying I'm the teacher you need to listen to. I'm just sharing the journey, guys. I spend time in the word and my goal is to take what I'm learning and just share it with those who might be edified, might be encouraged. But you take your time, you go meditate, take what you hear, go study the word and you may come away with something different. Holy Spirit may show you something different and that's okay. I'm just here to say I may not be right, but this is the conclusion that I came to. I was in Matthew 25, Mark 4, Luke 8, Luke 19, and it gave me good insight on the answer to this question. It seems based on what Jesus says, and essentially he says to everyone who has, more will be given and will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. So based on these scripture references, light has been revealed to the world. Truth has been spoken to the world. Whether they see the light or hear the truth, that's not what I'm talking about. It's clear that Jesus came and he revealed himself. So, so we already know that. Here's the issue. Not all respond to the light the same way. Not all receive the truth the same way. Jesus had come into the world, but many did not receive him. Light and truth had come, yet many rejected him. This was then. This is now. And, and this will always be. But here's the reality. A person's response to the light, a person's response to truth, a person's response to Christ in this life is absolutely crucial because when we all stand at the throne of judgment, you must understand there will be no more opportunity to embrace the truth. The chance to embrace Jesus then will not work. Those who scorn the light of the gospel now will have all light removed from them for eternity. So the question I asked at this point in my study was, well, since God revealed truth, What's the difference between those who receive the truth and those who don't? It's very clear that it's the response of people. And most times, instead of people taking ownership of their response, they, they just call God the bad guy. They find every reason in the book to point to him as being the problem. A lot of times there's this picture of God painted where he looks like a cosmic bully, like he delights in people's destruction. And let me clearly say, God does not delight in people's destruction. He's made himself known. Truth has been revealed. The light has come into the world, yet people loved darkness more and they rejected the light. And I can only paint a picture like this. We all sit in, in pitch black darkness in our dirty bedrooms, junk all over the place, sitting in filth, oh, old crusty plates everywhere, dirty clothes and junk all over the floor. It's absolute filth. And we don't even know it. We can't see it. And Jesus comes in. He opens the door. He comes in and he flips the light on. And then all of a sudden we can see what our rooms look like. Just picture that. Lights come on. You look around. You're like, wow, my room's a mess. My room's filthy. It's disgusting. It's terrible. And for the first time we see it and it's bad. And the mess is so bad. The filth is so out of control. We're not even able to clean it up ourselves. It's like just sell the house. Just put it on the market. I can't even clean this thing up. Just burn the place down. We need to reset. And we need the only one who can clean it up to come and do that. And that's Jesus. He alone can make things new. 
So at this point, we all are in this room. We have a decision to make. Do we receive the reset? Do we receive the cleanup? Or do we reject it? And here's the reality. Some receive and some reject. And those who reject, just they push Jesus out the door. They shut the door and they turn the light back off and they just continue to sit in the filth. They, they love the filth more. You, you see what's happening here? It's all about the response. It's all about the posture of one's heart. It's all about how you receive Christ that determines which path in life you're going to take. Bottom line, I think of my uncle. I idolized him growing up. He was a father to me. Before I was saved, he was absolutely my hero. I wanted to be just like him. Self-made. He has his own company. He has money. He has the wife, the family, the big house. He has it all. We were so close. And, and when I surrendered my life to Jesus in 2013, our relationship became rocky and eventually ended. All because of my relationship with Christ. And, and he would never admit that. But sadly, it's true. The life I began to live was, was a life of light. And every time I came around, it exposed darkness that he lives in. And after many years of me coming around, things eventually came to a head and, and we parted ways. But I will tell you, I always shared the gospel with him in word and deed. And continually, he just refused. And what I've noticed over the years of knowing him is he has grown more hard and calloused every year. He has grown more prideful and believes he's so wise and knows it all, yet he knows nothing. He, he's, he's grown more evil in how he handles his affairs. And everyone who follows him, his wife, his kids, are going down the very same path. Roman, Romans 1, unfolding right in front of my eyes with my uncle and his family. A family that I love. A family that completely rejects light and truth. Here's the truth, guys. Romans 1 tells us that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Guys, this speaks of the general revelation of God, meaning everyone that past, present, future, that is a human being recognizes that there is a creator. They may not recognize Jesus, but they recognize the creator God. For his invisible, his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature has been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that he has made. So they are without excuse. For all that they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give him thanks, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for idols. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossipers, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. See, it's the so-called wise. It's the prideful. It's the know-it-alls, the ones who don't see their need. They are the ones who stay in darkness and only grow more dark and more blind. Yes, God has revealed himself, but they suppressed him. They suppressed truth 
in their unrighteousness and their evil. They'd rather, they love evil more. It's like, no, God, take your free gift and get out of here. And what's, what's God do? It says right here. He, uh, he, he gave them up to a debased mind to do what they ought not to do. He, he gave a go. You, you want it, have it. Look at Matthew eleven twenty five. 25. It says, at the time Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. What on earth is Jesus saying there? Why did Jesus say this? Why, why would Jesus thank the Father for hiding truth from people? Well, Jesus said this right after he rebuked the hard-hearted for lacking repentance. It was those who thought that they were wise and knew it all. And Jesus is saying them, saying to them, it's the childlike, it's the dependent. It's those who recognize their neediness that will receive. It's those who receive me with joy and gladness that are wise. Remember when Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit? This is why a person is blessed. Their hearts are soft. Their hearts are repentant. They know they have nothing to offer and are spiritually bankrupt. They, they know they've wronged this holy God and they surrender broken. Blessed are the broken. God reveals to the ones who respond to his call. God isn't going to beg you to receive him. Look, all, all of these passages of scripture are directly correlated to how God responds to the blind, how he responds to the hard-hearted, how he responds to the, the, the calloused know-it-alls. Truth has been revealed, yet not all receive it. Light had come and people didn't want the light. They wanted darkness. And I think at this point in Jesus's ministries, or his ministry, this was the crowds. So Jesus essentially said, enough is enough. I will no longer share my truth in a straightforward manner. So he began to teach the view. He began to teach the hungry. He began to teach the dependent, the needy, the real ones. And this would truly separate the real from the fake. And this is why Jesus quotes Isaiah 6 to his disciples when they were alone as he begins to explain the parable of the sower. He essentially says, hey, many will hear but will never understand. Many will see but never perceive. People's hearts have grown dull. And even though they have ears, they can barely hear. They close their eyes to me. Only if they would see with their eyes and hear with their ears, I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. I mean, Jesus is saying, God has spoken. And because people don't hear, he hides the truth. He, he hides the truth from the unreceptive. He spoke this through Isaiah 700 years earlier. And now he's here in the flesh speaking directly to his followers. And we see it in the text today. And look at what we have going on here. Finally, after all of that, we dig into this parable of the sower. Understanding everything that I just shared, to me, this parable makes a little more sense and even why he spoke this parable at this moment. It truly fits, considering we're talking about the heart of man. Simply to explain this parable in layman's terms, we have the sower who sows seed. And in this day, seed was sown by hand after the sower plowed the soil. In the field that the sower scattered seed were four different surfaces that received the seed. First, some seed fell on the wayside. The sower would throw seed all over the field as close to the edges of a field 
and naturally some would land or blow onto the hard beaten path on the edges of the field where it could not penetrate the soil and grow. This surface was hard due to constant foot traffic. The seed essentially bounced off the hard surface and never penetrated. It never even took root. Second, some seed fell on the rocky soil. This was the very shallow soil with, with a layer of rock lying just below the surface. There were beds of solid rock, usually limestone, lying under the shallow surface of good soil. Those beds of, of solid rock were too deep for the plow to reach. And because of this rock, the, the shallow, good layer of soil um, on the top what was too shallow um, for the seed to really take root, to develop a, a good root system. So this seed would grow quickly, but because it couldn't develop a strong root system, when the sun came up, it, it scorched the plant and it caused the plant to wither and die. And here's something to think about when you think of the rocky soil. From the top, if you're looking at good soil and rocky soil, guess what? You only see good soil. From the top, it looks, it looks like good soil. Both of them look the same, but they're not. Third, some seed fell among the thorns. This was the soil that was overgrown with tough thistle-bearing weeds that used up all the available space, used up all the light, used up all the water that the seed needed to grow properly. The seed would develop into a plant, but the thorns would choke the plant out and the plant had no chance to thrive, so it died. And lastly, some feed, uh, seed fell on good ground. And this was a soil that was plowed well and ready to receive. It was, it was all soil, no layers of rock, no thorns, this was the soil that would produce the greatest harvest because the seeds were able to penetrate and grow properly. So what does all this mean? Well, we don't even have to try to figure it out. Jesus explained it. He told us exactly what this parable means. Yes, Jesus spoke to his disciples, but what I want y'all to understand, there's a heavy meaning for us here, and we would be wise to hear and really grasp it and take inventory of our own lives. We have the sower, who is Jesus himself. And then anyone who proclaims the gospel, who, whoever follows Jesus, look, we're little sowers, okay? He's the capital S sower. We're, we're little lowercase sowers. And we sow the seed. Jesus sowed the seed, was sowing the seed. So we, we in, in follow in his footsteps and we sow the seed, which Luke calls the word of God. Matthew calls the word of the kingdom. It's the salvation gospel. The gospel, the word of the kingdom is the message of how to enter God's kingdom. It's the sphere of salvation. It truly is a word of reconciliation. This is the, this is the seed that the sower sows. And as the sower sows, some fell on the wayside. This was likely, again, uh, uh, the hard, obstinate Jewish leaders. That would be a perfect example of who the, who the, uh, the, 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 the wayside would be. It's those that hear the gospel, but the gospel never penetrates their, their soul. Literally the, the gospel is, is thrown out and it bounces off their heart. Like doesn't even penetrate, not even one inch, not even one, one, I mean, it's just nothing. It disappears from the surface of their understanding. Jesus explains this as the enemy snatching it away. As the sower sows, some fell, some seed fell on rocky soil. This could refer to the, the fickle people that followed Jesus only for his miracles. They wanted Jesus because it was cool, because he was popular, because he was doing miracles and feeding 5,000 and doing all the things. I mean, everyone was following Jesus, right? So why not? 
These were the people who were simply going through the motions. That they, they appeared righteous, but were not genuine. These people were willing to rejoice in the gospel for a while, but they eventually fell away. The Apostle John speaks of these people that existed in his day, and they still exist today, and they will tomorrow. He says in 1 John 2, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might be plain that they are not of us. In other words, these are the people who claim they are genuine Christians, but they're not. Ezekiel spoke of these people in his day. Remember, there is nothing new under the sun. People came to God as people come, and they sat before God as his people, and they heard what he said, but they would not do what he said. For with lustful talk in their mouths, they acted. Their heart was set on their gain. Here's the reality. We see the same today. Some people make emotional, superficial commitments to salvation in Christ, but it's not real. They remain interested only until there is a sacrificial price to pay and then they abandon Christ. This, this person receives the gospel enthusiastically with emotion, yet a superficial response and does not count the cost involved. This is only a temporary surface change. When trials and tribulations and persecution come, this superficial believer will fall away. When put to the test, they fail. Here, here's the truth, guys. You ever see that person that hears a worship song, gets emotional, and wants to give their life to Jesus? That, that may be genuine. I mean, I'm not judging here. But that is not how we identify a genuine follower of Christ. What I want to know is what happens after that. Is, is it a genuine conversion? Well, only time will tell. You will only be able to judge by their actions and their behaviors. Judge the tree by their fruit and not empty words because they cried during a worship song. As the sower sows, some seed fell among thorns. This could refer to the materialist to whom earthly wealth was more important than spiritual riches. These people make a superficial commitment without true repentance. They can't break with their love of money and the world. Time after time, Jesus warned his disciples. Matthew 19, 23 says, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Mark 10 and Luke 18, Jesus says, How difficult is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? Why did Jesus say this? Did he mean that being his follower means you can't be wealthy? No. He's just saying, he's warning us against money being a snare. The Apostle Paul explains this well in 1 Timothy 6, 9 through 10. He said, but those who desire, key word, desire, to be rich, fall into temptation. It's a snare into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving, key word, craving, that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So it's the motive of the heart. Desire for money, it's rooted in the heart. A craving for money, it's rooted in the heart. It's a heart issue. When you are a genuine follower of Jesus, you don't desire and crave riches. I'm sorry, you don't. You just can't. Paul saw this happen to people that fell away. He spoke of Demas in 2 Timothy 4. Demas is in love with this present world is what he said. He walked away from the faith and deserted Paul. Money was a snare and it pulled him away. Money is a snare to many. It was a snare to me. And at times I still flirt with it. Guys, it's dangerous. 
Jesus is saying that that is a slippery slope and many, most, all slip and fall to their destruction. This is why the, the apostle John warned us in 1 John 2, 15 through 17. He said, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of, of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. And there was the Lord's brother, James, saying the same, James 4, 4. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Guys, this can't be more straightforward. The cares of the world, the distractions of the age, the preoccupation with the temporal issues of the present age blind this person to any serious consideration of the gospel. Guys, here's the truth. Not only can money, material possessions not satisfy the desires of the heart or bring lasting happiness that they deceptively promise, they also blind those who pursue them to eternal spiritual concerns. The more you chase the mirage called the world, the more hard and blind and callous you become. You essentially become numb and can't even feel the power of the gospel. Like my uncle. You reject light and you reject truth because you love what? You love darkness. You love the world. You love evil. Again, John 3, 19. Lastly, as the sower sows, some seed fell on good ground. Jesus said, these are the ones who hear the word, receive it, and bear fruit. And notice that not all hear and receive produce equal amounts. As there were three soils with no fruit, meaning no salvation, there are three kinds of good soil with fruit. Not all believers are equally fruitful, but all are fruitful. Remember Jesus said, you will know people by their fruit and how much fruit they produce. He also said, I'm sorry, let me repeat that again. Jesus said, you will know people by their fruit, not how much fruit they produce. He also said, the father is glorified when we are fruitful. So simply this, this tells me that a true disciple of Christ will show the world who they belong to by their behaviors, by their actions, that they will bear fruits of the spirit of God, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. So the question now that we ask ourselves is, well, which soil are you? Which soil am I? How do we bear fruit and continue to bear fruit? Well, first, by God's amazing grace alone, his spirit that lives in us empowers us. We do nothing on our own power. With that being said, we do play a role as we are empowered by him. Je Jesus said something very critical in John 15, 5. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him he it is that bears much fruit. From apart from me, you can do nothing. So the word abide, it means to stay. It means to remain. This involves action on our part. We must remain. And when you remain in Christ, you prove your salvation is genuine. The fruit of, or evidence of salvation is continuance and service to him and his teachings. The abiding believer is the, is the only genuine believer. Hear me again. The abiding believer is the only genuine believer. Believer, You can't tell me you, you're a believer and follower of Christ and you're not abiding in him. And on top of this, we must now go and be fruitful in the way we share the gospel. We are to be like Christ as sowers. 
little sowers, but we're so we're little Christ. As we grow in Christ, we are to sow seed in this world. But as we sow, understand this illustration of the four soils. Understand that the seed is going to fall on those who will completely reject. Seed will fall on those who are shallow. Seed will fall on those who are entangled in the world's affairs. And lastly, seed will fall on those who will receive and enter in the family and, and go on and be, be fruitful. Guys, we can't control the response of people. We can only control our willingness to sow. I heard a great, great quote and it reads, the issue is not the skill of one proclaiming the message, the packaging of the message, or the technique used in proclaiming it. The issue is the condition of the hearer. Jesus illustrated that principle in the parable of the sower. The same message, the seed, is proclaimed by the same individual, the sower. The only variable in this condition, or is the condition of the four soils. What is essential for the messengers of the gospel is not cleverness, but clarity. Only God can open the sin-blinded eyes of those who are dead in their trespasses and sins. But understand, guys, following the example of Jesus will take patience and perseverance. It will take commitment. It's going to take much endurance. We must understand that it is through much trials and tribulation that we enter the kingdom. Paul wrote that. He told Timothy that. We must endure. Paul also reminded the Romans of something that I think resonates today and will always. Those who are genuine Christians, those who are Truly the good soil will understand this. Paul exhorts Christians in Roman, Romans 5 to rejoice in their sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And James reminds us to be patient until the coming of the Lord. He's, he, remember, he says, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruits of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also, I also, we must be patient. Establish our hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Guys, let's close in prayer. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your spirit, the advocate, the comforter, the teacher, the great helper. Lord, without your spirit, we are nothing. And Lord, I pray now that your spirit would just warm our hearts, convict our hearts, prick our hearts, teach us, prune us, guide us, lead us, protect us. Lord, thank you for being our shepherd, for protecting your flock, for being our victorious king. And knowing that as we follow you, regardless of what we face in this world, we have victory. Even in my season, I have a hard, I have a hard season. A lot of people know I've been talking about it. But Lord, I know that I can rejoice because you're, you're doing a mighty work. So Lord, I pray now for all of us as we go about our day, that you would just continue to speak these words over us and just help us to understand and grasp and then take and apply what we, we've heard today. This goes for myself. And continually preach this message over my, my own self. Lord, I thank you for, for these listeners, these viewers, these people that, that support me in this way. I just thank you for their, for their willingness in their, in their hearts, their open hearts to receive, their willingness to be on this journey with me. I couldn't do it without them. Lord, I thank you so much for all you're doing. And I pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.
My friends, thank you for joining me on this episode of Straight Talk with Celine. I hope our time together has helped you take a small step towards living out the fullness of who you've been called to be. If this episode encouraged and edified you, please take a moment and think of that person that needs to hear this and do me a favor and share it. Jesus has called us to be ambassadors. Let us never forget that the mission is to know Jesus and to make him known. I love you all with the love of Christ. Until next time, take care.